News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Messias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome to episode 110 of the Luke Messias Show. Today we are going to talk about the growing divide between Dan Patrick and Greg Abbott and what that means for Texans. There's a specific policy that they're in disagreement about now, but what does that mean about our legislative session? We're also going to talk about Representative Cole Hefner from East Texas, who recently uh, filed a number of different pieces of legislation. We're going to use that as a window by which we're going to look into the Texas House of Representatives and ask ourselves what it tells us about what the legislature is doing. So first and foremost, let's talk about Dan Patrick versus Greg Abbott, because there is a significant divide today between these two Gentlemen, the lieutenant governor is the most powerful elected official in Texas. Um, that used to be the case. But what happened was the sitting governor has basically abused his executive authority to the extent that he's declared anything he wants an emergency and then used that as the as as something that he uses to give himself the ability to pass laws with a stroke of a pen. So he's found a way to supersede the strong lieutenant governor, weak governor system that we have and decided he's going to over throw that system. Um, at the start of the session, Dan Patrick and Greg Abbott were on great terms, to be completely honest. Uh, in private and in public, Dan Patrick was not only singing the governor's praises, but he was literally urging people to get behind Greg Abbott, get on board with this guy. And during the shutdown, during uh, the last year that the governor has shut the state down, Dan Patrick very quickly kind of got put into line and told to not go out and share his opinion on any of these policies. And he didn't. He largely stayed silent while Abbott was allowed to basically do whatever it is he wanted to do. So currently there's a disagreement going on because many of you Texans, in fact, pretty much anybody in Texas was affected by this Texas freeze that happened. And the massive problems that were discovered in the state's energy system, our grid system, the lack of security, and um, the, the lack of enduring qualities that our grid system has. I'm trying to look for, I'm trying to, resilience is what Senator Hall has said. Uh, having a resilient grid, the lack of resili resiliency within our power was revealed. And so the legislature has been looking at a handful of policies that honestly aren't going to do hardly anything. And I really mean that. If you're a Texan out there who's concerned about the Texas freeze, just know this. Politicians right now are trying to find a couple bills they can pass to tell you that a freeze will never take out the grid again. Now, here's the stupidity within that. And I don't know any other way to call it than stupidity. But um, essentially, they are saying that the next threat to the grid is going to be the thing that threatened it just a month or two ago. The whole point of an unforeseeable threat is that it's unforeseeable. So the question you need to be asking yourself is what makes this grid more resilient, period? But that's not the conversation that's being had in Texas. A conversation is being had about what politically should be done to make us look better. But here's something that happened during the Texas freeze. The PUC commission, three commissioners at the time, passed a mandate that power be sold at a certain price. They increased the price of power. 
Now, I'm going to try to kind of break this controversy down because you can Google PUC, Dan Patrick, Greg Abbott, and read a bunch of different articles out there, but they're all going to be a little hard to understand. Um, so I'm just going to try to make this kind of simplified and, and so that you can understand what the disagreement's about. The PUC, the Public Utility Commission of Texas, which is wholly staffed by governor appointees. The, the governor of Texas is completely controls that commission. So those individuals basically said, we are going to pass a rule that increases the price of power. In the middle of the freeze, they said to increase the supply. So they were trying to get more power brought on so less people would be out of power. So they said, we're going to offer a ton of money. And then all of these people that are providing that power now have to go pay a lot to be able to provide it to all the people who want to turn their light switches on. And that mandated price got set for a pretty long period of time. Several days passed when it was absolutely necessary. And there's some that would argue that it was never necessary because the power that was not being brought onto the grid was, it wasn't like generators were sitting there not generating the power during the freeze or they were generating it but not selling it because the price wasn't high enough. They were going to make money. They would have put it onto the grid if they could. And so the argument is, that's not actually something that did deliver more energy. Um, but the PUC argues that if they hadn't done this, then let me let me say, you know, just to give you the argument that they would give is that essentially they would say that there were, let's say, large facilities that were consuming power that could pause, turn off their facilities and sell the power back to the grid. And so they said, well, increasing the price is going to get people to put their power back onto the grid so it can get to the normal consumer that's consuming it. Okay. And then there's another big disagreement by the fact that once the power is starting to come back on board, those prices should have been let to go back to what the market would have put them at, which would be much less expensive. But instead, they were kept for a prolonged period of time by the PUC. So now all of a sudden, all of these governing entities, these power delivers, providers, the little uh, electric co-ops and power companies have massive bills for the energy that they purchased during that time. And it could, you could see several people go out of business as a result. In fact, uh, Brazos Electric in the, you know, College Station area and stuff has literally declared, they're in chapter 11 right now. Um, so what the lieutenant governor said was, I would like to go back during that period of time and say that the repricing should have never happened, that that was inappropriate, and that at the end of the day, this is just socializing a whole lot of profit for a handful of power producers. And there's at least roughly 4 to $5 billion of money that shouldn't have been handed out. And it's honestly money that doesn't even exist today, meaning somebody's not just going to pay the bill. There's massive debt obligations that are going to get passed on to ratepayers in some form or fashion. Because if you're a co-op and you have this bill for all the power that you provided during the freeze, you're going to have to find a way to pay that bill at some point. And the only way you make revenue is by charging people for their power. So even if you have a fixed rate, um, at, let's say a, a contract that only says that you can pay so much for your power, that just means that for this current period of time, you won't get charged. But at some point, all you ratepayers out there are going to have to pay for the government-mandated price that then made a whole lot of energy producers billions and billions of dollars. So Dan Patrick came in and said, I don't want this to happen. I want to go back and fix it. And Greg Abbott completely opposed him. 
He stood by his PUC commissioner. He used the Speaker of the House to shut down legislation that would have allowed for a debate on this issue. Um, and then following those uh, issues, he, he basically said that I'm, I'm standing by my PUC commissioner, um, and I do think that the things that Dan Patrick wants to do are unconstitutional. So any anytime Greg Abbott's telling you something's unconstitutional, you know it's somewhat laughable because I think we've all witnessed that the governor doesn't really care about the Constitution. The Texas Constitution says the governor can't pass a law, and Governor Abbott has pretty much done nothing but pass laws for the last year without the legislature's approval. So um, that probably is one of the things that set Dan Patrick off, if you're wondering why all of a sudden Dan Patrick went from being pretty darn close to Governor Abbott to definitely in disagreement. And I would have to say that one of them was probably the governor calling the lieutenant governor unconstitutional because the lieutenant governor knows just how much opposition Greg Abbott is under from a legislature that doesn't like the fact that he's been trying to pass laws as the executive branch, similar to the things that we've criticized Barack Obama and Joe Biden from doing. So what does this controversy tell us? So last week, Dan Patrick started to push this bill through. Greg Abbott opposed him several different times. Um, There was a deadline, which was Friday, to take action on this particular issue of repricing because after Friday, and don't ask me to explain every single financial market, but essentially after Friday, these contracts were fully executed and there there was no going back. The, you, you would not be able to take the money back. And so uh, Patrick did everything he could to try to get the governor uh, to act on this, and the governor just refused, said, hey, let's just let the ratepayers pay all this up. Here's what it means for you in a good way. Um, a divided legislature is better for the people, and here's why. Because when you have all three The top three, we call them the big three, but that is the Speaker of the House, Lieutenant Governor, and the Governor. When the big three are all on the same page, then they pretty much cover for each other, okay? So the Texas House will go, well, everyone knows that, you know, Lieutenant Governor Patrick and Joan Huffman and Kel Seliger don't like constitutional carry. So if we were to pass constitutional carry, a pro-gun bill that's been in the Republican platform forever and is a Republican priority, that would put the Senate in a bad position. So let's not do that. And then the Senate will say, well, if we were to ban sex change surgeries on little kids, that's great. But I don't know where Dade's on that. And I know they don't want to deal with another hot button social issue. So let's not put them in that position. And they'll go back and forth on this issue. And they'll basically say, hey, we don't want to we don't want to put our friends in a tough position. Therefore, let's not push something. It would make them look bad. Now, the more divided they are, the more competitive they are. And the less they care about making their the other chamber look good, that's good for you. If you're a Texan who cares about certain policy, that's a good thing for you. So you should just be aware that there's current disunity and that disunity is in your best interest. And that's unfortunate. Wouldn't it be great if we lived in a state where the governor, lieutenant governor, and speaker, you want working together for the people of Texas. But unfortunately, when they are, they're coordinating and colluding to deceive you. So you actually need them not on the same page so that those base instincts that they have are not easily implementable against you. So let's move on to Representative Cole Hefner, state representative from East Texas, who recently put out a release 
and uh, this was a release that he put out. He said, as the deadline for filing legislation is now passed, I thought it might be helpful to send out a short update on the legislation I filed for the 87th session. As delegate to the Republican State Convention this past summer, I was proud to support each of the Republican Party legislative priorities. I kept these priorities at the forefront of my mind as I decided what legislation to put forward during the session. Below, you will find a partial list of bills I filed or am currently supporting, all of which advance the Republican Party of Texas priorities and platform. Very good thing to do. Uh, the Republican Party has nine priorities. The legislature is trying to avoid these priorities as much as humanly possible. Um, they want to push their own priorities. And honestly, the elected elite do not have the same priorities as the average Texas Republican. So that divide is going to become ever increasingly obvious as each year goes by. And that's one reason we have a lot of people that listen to this show. But these priorities are anything from getting rid of abortion, protecting religious liberty, uh, banning sex change surgeries on children. Those are your social issues. Election integrity is a major Major uh, priority, which is going to get uh, addressed, limiting the executive powers, the governor's powers, constitutional carry, actually ensuring that we have the same gun rights as somebody in Vermont, which, again, is kind of crazy. You're thinking, man, I'm a Texan. Shouldn't I have the same gun rights as a Vermontian? I think that's it. And if a Vermontian who has Bernie Sanders as their U.S. senator has constitutional carry, which is permitless carry. So I have a CHL. Okay. Don't ask me if I'm caring. I'm never going to tell you. But the point is that as a licensed carry holder, I have the ability to carry a firearm. And if you're not licensed, if you don't get permission from the government, you don't have the ability to carry a firearm. And so permitless carry is the idea that anything you can legally purchase, you can legally carry with or without the government's permission because they granted you the right to buy your firearm, they didn't even really grant it. The Second Amendment is a right you have. The question is whether the government's going to impede that right. So they didn't impede you from buying it, and now they can't impede you from carrying it. That's constitutional carry. And then there was monument protection and banning taxpayer-funded lobbying. Now, here's kind of the weird thing that happened when he rolled this list out. And this is going to get us into today's discussion. So for some of these issues, he basically co-authored legislation. Okay, so he co-authored several pieces of legislation um, that were regarding that particular issue. But interestingly enough, several of these he filed his own bill for. But it wasn't really his own bill. And this is going to really get into the crux of our conversation today about the state of the Republican legislature. So when it came to gender modification, he essentially just copied Steve Toth's bill. Steve Toth is a state representative from the Woodlands who came out a long time ago and said, I'm going to fight to ban gender modification on these children, which is an 80-20 issue for Texans. And instead of co-authoring Steve Toth's bill and saying, I'm on board, what can I do to help? He said, I'm going to author the same bill with my name on it. And then when it came to constitutional carry, we have three versions of constitutional carry that have been filed. James White has a version that is kind of the more NRA-approved version that Drew Springer has. It's the weakest version. Let me not get into all these details right now. We'll see what happens over the next week or two. By the way, James White is having a hearing on constitutional carry legislation and is going to advance it and will be the first chairman to ever do that in Texas that I know of. So phenomenal opportunities when it comes to Second Amendment rights this session. So James White's going to advance that 
legislation. He has a version of the bill he's filed. Matt Schaefer has a version of the bill he's filed. And Kyle Biederman has a version of the bill he's filed. Kyle Biederman's version is uh, kind of, I would say, the version that's been most agreed to by all the different gun groups, Gun Owners of America, National Association for Gun Rights, Open Carry Texas, these different groups. James White's bill is the one that I think the NRA probably approves the most because they don't like as hardcore legislation. And then Schaefer had his own kind of approach that he took, which is somewhere in the middle of these two bills. Okay. Now, Cole Hefner has three different constitutional carry bills to sign on to. You could sign on to all three of them. But instead, he's like, no, I'm going to take Kyle Biederman's bill. I'm going to copy it and paste it and use it as my bill. Me, Cole Hefner. Monument protection, he again took Brian Slayton's legislation. Representative Slayton's been on this show. He's probably one of the strongest, most conservative uh, freshmen out there that's really been taking on a handful of these different core Republican priorities and issues. And instead of signing on to Representative Slayton's bill, Cole Hefner just took it and filed it with his name on it. So you see these different issues that come up and you see that instead of signing on to legislation, Cole seems really focused on him getting the credit. Now, it's interesting because I know that several of the you know, different representatives, they're having their conversations are going, well, you know, Cole Hefner is really liked by leadership because he is. He, he's been with Dade Phelan from the beginning. Even when Dade was cutting the deals, he cut with Democrats to say a lot of these Republican issues are not going to be focused on this session. Um, you know, Cole was still there with him all along the way when they were circumventing the Republican caucus process. And so as a result, if you're going to stay loyal to me, even when I'm circumventing the Republican process and cutting a deal with Democrats, like I'm going to reward you. You're going to have a lot. And Cole has been placed in good, solid positions to be able to advance policy. And so he wants to file these bills so that his name is on them when they pass. Now, at the end of the day, nobody really knows who the heck co-authors, joint authors, or primary authors. In fact, it's this like obsession that happens in the legislature. And at the end of the day, nobody cares. But that's okay. They care. And that really gets at the conversation that we're having. Matt Krause had a great tweet that he tweeted out, um, I guess it was two days ago. Um, and uh, somebody was talking about the fact that he has pushed these this sanctuary state for the Second Amendment policy that says no federal government gun laws can be enforced in Texas that aren't actually Texas gun laws, too, in case gun control happens. And Matt tried to pass this uh, back when Barack Obama was president, um, but Republicans tend to not do things until they're a crisis. We're not really forward thinkers. So back then, we could have done something about it, but unfortunately, the Republican leadership doesn't think that way. So he's filed it every single session. Well, now that it's going to pass, it's been given to, it looks like, Justin Holland um, to pass under his name. Um, but Matt tweeted out, this is the fifth session in a row we've been working on this concept, this idea of creating a sanctuary state in Texas for guns. Thanks for the acknowledgement, Mr. Vaughn. Jason Vaughn's the one who tweeted out about it. But I don't care who gets it done, how, how we get it done. I don't care how we get it done as long as it gets signed into law. It's good policy. And that is a good perspective to have. That's in alignment with the quote that I think most people have heard a bunch, but Ronald Reagan had a quote on his desk that said, there's no limit to what mankind can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. And that's what we really need. We need men and women. This is what makes a public servant versus a politician. A public servant says, I'm just trying to get this done. I don't care how it gets done. Let's just get it done. Let's just get this policy done. And uh, this runs counter. This is antithetical to the way Austin works. Austin's all about who gets it done. 
That's all they think about. When you bring a policy to the House floor, you'll bring an amendment that could be added onto a bill that all of a sudden makes it great policy or advances a key piece of policy that Republicans have been working on for years. And people will say, wait a second, did the chairman sign off on this? Did the author of the bill say he's okay with it? Why? Because it's not about the policy. It's about the personalities behind it. And this is pervasive in Austin. I mean, you will literally have people go, if he carries that amendment, I'll vote for it. But if he carries that amendment, I won't vote for it. This is what Texans need to understand. Your elected officials, for the most part, are not that concerned with policy. They're not. If the chairman, who's seen as influential under Dade Phelan, says vote yes, everyone votes yes. And if the chairman says, this has been tough, but I'm opposed, I'm a new, I'm a two, I'm a, I'm a no. I said a new. That was a no and a two combined. I'm a no. Guess what? The policy fails. So it's not about policy. We don't have policy discussions in the Texas legislature. It's largely a personality pissing contest, unfortunately. And that's what we witness. And I'm grateful that Representative Hefner has given us yet another window into the problems that we have in Austin. So what does that tell you to do? Well, here's the good news. Uh, Milton Friedman said, you know, it's not enough to get enough good people who want to do the right thing because we have several of those in Austin. But you have to actually create an environment where the wrong people want to do the right thing. And the good news is some Republicans are speaking out on the Republican priorities because I think they know that they have to try to look like they're doing the right thing. And that's good news for Texans. It means that there's clearly uh, in Austin an undercurrent starting to happen where they're seeing a need to actually deliver Republican results since we did give them control of the Texas legislature. We'll see what they do. But I am very hopeful that at least some things will happen um, and the things that don't happen, it will be clear, crystal clear why that was the case so that you, Texans, can take ownership of that situation and uh, personal responsibility and we can fight to make Texas even better. If you haven't reached out to your lawmakers and the politicians that you do know and your local representatives and ask them to take a leadership role in some of these policy issues, I think now may be the right time to do it. In fact, it probably is because at the end of the day, this is D-Day. It's, it's game day. It's the time. We're at halftime. We're about to go into the third and fourth quarter. And uh, Republicans don't seem too hell-bent on scoring too many points. So I would encourage you to do your part in engaging in the wonderful process that we have called the Texas legislature and Texas politics. God bless you. God bless Texas. Thank you for listening to the Luke Messias show. This program is brought to you by scorecard media. Check out texasscorecard.com to read up on all things, Texas scorecard media has other podcasts as well. Yeah, they're not as good as this one, but you should still check them out. Honestly, though, visit texasscorecard.com to see all the content they're producing on a daily basis. If you'd like our podcast to grow, please consider subscribing to the show on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review. That helps others find the content we're producing. Thank you. God bless you and God bless Texas. Texas.